Entertainment Podcast from Bottomline Technologies. Greetings and welcome to the Payments Podcast, where this episode will map directly to the calendar. My name is John Gaffney, and we're going to weigh in today with our payment trends to watch across several business segments, from banking to corporate payments to fraud prevention and detection. Our guests are various subject matter experts from Bottom Line who will give you a unique perspective on the coming year, embracing issues that are mission critical for all businesses. Among them, real-time payments, corporate payments, payments fraud, and the use of data to inform business decisions in all these areas. Our first and most important issue has to do with the speed and accuracy of payments all over the globe and across all business verticals. Depending on your geography, it's either real-time, instant, or faster payments. In the U.S., the Federal Reserve is ready to launch its platform toward late spring or early summer. Bottom line's commercial head of banking, Chuck Garcia, tells us that the Fed's entry will do more than shake up the marketplace. Yes, I think the, the, the key piece of that, uh, the Fed entry here is really just expanding the marketplace in a significant manner. And in doing so, it's going to open the gates for many, many smaller institutions that heretofore have really not had the, the ability to enter uh, just because of the pure financial uh, uh, requirements and implications of that. So I think it's going to expand the marketplace tremendously near term, but certainly over the next several years. And Chuck, could you talk a little bit about digital transformation and how um, real-time payments is really what digital transformation looks like? Well, it is. And, and it really is just putting, putting digitization into more hands, into more uses. And I think, I think that will continue to expand. Certainly, the consumer is a very significant user, but I think the expansion of commercial uh, clients in this space and, and more of a B2B than is... Uh, currently in place, I think will begin to take shape. It won't happen overnight, but I think there will be a, a strong uh, start. And I think the gradual improvements and, and uh, continuation of that will, will happen over the next two, three years. In the EU, the need for speed is all about regulation. As the year closed out, the European Commission updated its 2012 instant payments regulations. That proposal has four main aspects. First, it would make instant payments universally available in euros. Two, it would make those payments more affordable, mandating that they stay in line with pricing models for non-instant transfers. Three, it would implement an obligation similar to the UK's confirmation of payee. And fourth, it would require payment service providers to verify their clients against the EU sanctions list. Now, Bottom Line's Director of Financial Messaging, Frederick Fiard, says a lot of change is coming and banks need to prepare on several fronts. Thank you, John. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a very challenging environment today. And we are in, in a status where is the, uh, there is a downturn in terms of uh, the, the shape of the economy. We have a lot of inflation. We have a geopolitical a situation which is a bit tense. Uh, I think these will drive in general to lower the investment in general. So in this situation, I see that the banks will mainly look at really focusing their investment in some key area to ensure business continuity, to still ensure profitability and, and to protect their business. So I think in, in that space, banks will mainly uh, focus on, on the, the following area. So one is about keeping their customer base, so protecting their asset, avoiding attrition, and this will be made 
by in continuing investing in, in digitalization for an improved customer experience. These could drive to a, a broader adoption of new methods such as account-to-account um, -account payments or open banking. So this is something which will be around customer experience to ensure that they will protect their customer base. Of course, they will have to ensure business continuity. And then this will be about ensuring they are still compliant with the regulatory mandate. And there are many of them. And you mentioned one, which is the SEPA INS mandatory for instant payments in Europe, but there are others as well. So CBPR Plus with the ISO 20022, the Target 2 move to ISO 20022 as well, CHAP as well. Uh, and in Switzerland, also the mandatory uh, instant payment flows that have to be set up as well. So they have a lot of things to implement in the regulatory space, and they will have to, to do that you know, in order to ensure business continuity. I think in that space, we will have some maybe some conflict because in the current space, liquidity management and liquidity visibility will be a very important aspect, but in a different way for the payee or the payer, because the payer would like to buy now and to pay later, while the payee want, would, would want it to, to be paid uh, as, as soon as the transaction is done. So we, we might have a, a bit of a conflict between instant payments, which are really liquidity move in, instant, um, in an instant manner, while the credit card will allow you to pay later. So I think we will have some uh, some conflict in, in that space, which will be very interesting. And last but not least, I think they will still continue to fight against fraud because it's a bit, a bit risk for the banks in terms of uh, in terms of credit risk, but also in terms of reputational risk. And, and beside that, we will have probably a stronger focus on sanction screening due to the geopolitical, um, let's say, environments. We will have, we still, we already have a lot of, um, uh, of um, let's say, sanctions list and, and with people that we cannot pay, companies that you cannot pay on things like that. So I would say that the, the three things that banks will probably focus on is keep their customer base uh, to avoid attrition. So it will be around digitalization, focus on regulatory regime to be sure they are still on track with has, what has to be done and fight against fraud and, and ensure that the sanction list are applied um, appropriately. Of course, the underlying question for banks and businesses is not only the speed at which you will get paid, but how you will get paid. We expect digital transformation to run instead of walk in 2023 with AP automation at the center of business payments. Paymodex commercial head Tom Dolan calls 2023 the year of digitized AP, which will have consequences for any business that sees more efficiency and accuracy in its future. Thanks, John. Uh, glad to be here again. It was one of the highlights of the quarter. Uh, really, when we talk about 2023, moving from crawl, walk, and into the run of digitized AP, uh, it's all about operating uh, you know, at scale and how to manage what is essentially a changing uh, and, and dynamic landscape, uh, but also uh, you know, a changing uh, operation internally for companies, right? So payments in general is one of uh, what I say going through a great transformation right now uh, in which companies are trying to drive uh, consistency in their transformation from paper to digital. Well, at the same time, you know, just everything from payroll to, you know, uh, PO-based AP uh, evolves on a quarterly basis for all companies, right? With, a, you know, typically 20% of their vendors churning, you know, from one year to the next, right? So managing all of this at scale uh, to be able to see the horizon and where they want to go 
um, and then be able to take their operation and fly the plane while they're building it, if you will, uh, you know, is, is really a hard thing to do uh, and something that we're happy to engage with our partners and our customers on uh, and helping them do that at scale. So I, I think one of the ways that uh, uh, the landscape is transitioning today is the sense of networks that are popping up. Uh, and the way that you can you can uh, bring straight to a, a AP program uh, by connecting to a network, right? And uh, Paymode, we've got the Paymode X network uh, that we are very proud of. It's you know over five hundred thousand uh, you know uh, members today paying and getting paid on this network digitally and securely uh, with no fraud year over year uh, across billions of dollars in payments. And so uh, we're really proud. Uh, of of that network, it's what you call a closed end network, in which we know who everybody is on the paying side and the receiving side, and um, we're able to provide a number of digital connectivity value uh, to both those payers and the receivers. Uh, and that's one example of a network. And there's you know there's the Bill Trust, uh, you know the Bill Pay network, for example, uh, that's out there also. And we're going to see more of these sort of like network concepts in which they're tying you know software connectivity to the payer or the receiver uh, with a secure or known way to tran transact you know, payments digitally. Uh, and that could be either through maximizing acceptance of different payment types or known supplier directories, for example. Uh, but whatever it is, it's, it's tying that value and that software connectivity to that known you know, uh, you know, uh, way to transmit that digital, that digital payment uh, in a co connected way with that receiver or the payer. You know, the digital transformation and payments relying on networks to be able to do this at scale uh, and to enable those corporations to operate their, pay their payables or receivables program uh, at scale through this transformation. Open banking is one of the departures from business as usual in terms of payments this year. At its basic level, open banking means that a business or consumer allows a third party to access transactional data. There's a huge difference in the open banking approach taken in the U.S. versus the U.K., where it has gained much more traction. In the U.S., banks want data brokers to be more tightly regulated before open banking can be formalized. In the U.K., one of the features that has helped open banking is variable recurring payments, or VRPs. Bottom line's Richard Ransom explains why VRPs merit watching for any market in 2023. Thank you, John. Now, the basis of variable recurring payments is open banking, and open banking gives consumers more power over their finances. And in today's economic climate, open banking solutions such as PayDirect give consumers the ability to make a payment directly from their bank account to a supplier or business at a time that suits them. And if you marry that to a direct debit process, if the direct debit fails for any reason, open banking allows a payment of the full amount or in part when the money becomes available in their account. And that provides massive flexibility. Now, are VRPs being um, offered by, are they offered by banks or are they offered by businesses to consumer? Well, it's interesting. So the, the bank has to be there to mm -hmm. offer that uh, variable recurring payments functionality. At the moment in the UK, the banks are not mandated to carry it. But a number of high street banks, the, the biggest processes, are starting to allow that functionality. So you have to have a bank. You also have to have a biller. So the biller is there to um, give consumers the ability to transfer money on a recurring basis. 
And this could be um, rather than a one-off payment or um, as a, a new type of subscription. So how does it help the bank and the business as well as the consumer? I mean, what, what's in it for them to make it easier for consumers to pay? Well, by making it easier for consumers to pay, um, you're going to get paid. So mm -hmm. the advantage of variable recurring payments are, for the biller, um, instant settlement, where you're using something like a direct debit or a card collection. The merchant or the biller doesn't get the money straight away. With a VRP, they do. The other advantage is... Um, if a payment fails for whatever reason, the biller knows that that payment has failed immediately rather than several days later, which is the case nowadays. Okay, interesting. So, Richard, last question for you. Um, what's it going to take to get more banks to offer open banking and to offer more VRPs? I think it's just momentum in the market. Now, mm -hmm. interestingly, um, UK government offered open banking last year um, as a method of paying your taxes. So on your annual tax bill or for businesses, small businesses paying taxes. This has meant there's over 6 million active users of open banking today. And what we've seen is businesses are starting to take it up. I um, bought a investment product recently mm -hmm. and the payment was through open banking. I didn't, I didn't really realize it was open banking. I just had a pay by bank link, select mm -hmm. your bank. It took me into a journey that authenticated myself, and I'd done it, an account-to-account -account payment, and the money was immediately in the uh, credited to the account of the investment company. So it's just people using it, and we're seeing that in the UK. We're seeing that massive interest. Now, being mandated by um, the government is important. Mm -hmm. the, banks, the banks are going to start to see a market, and they won't want to miss out on it. So, as okay. I said, we've seen banks like NatWest really picking up the baton. And what's going to happen now is lots of other banks will follow suit. We're, we're absolutely convinced of that. Now, all of the issues we've discussed so far can be upended by payments fraud. Chris Gerda, Bottom Line's Risk and Fraud Prevention Officer, warns that fraud threats are outside of a business's control, but embedding fraud prevention measures are certainly within it. Companies that ignore detection and prevention technology do so at their own peril. I would I would agree. Um, when you think about the fraud risks that are coming, I mean, it's a, a crystal ball that you could stare at for hours and not really know what what ones to pick out of. <clears throat> but the things that are constants are that it's going up. Uh, it comes up for several reasons: automation and opportunity continues to flow to the fraudsters. Opportunity with new weak points to attack, new news stories to hook onto to fish for credentials new technologies or changes in technologies that offer to give them dif different opportunities. But some of the bread and butter frauds aren't going away. Um, what we need to do as organizations is become more creative in the ways that we combat them. One that comes to mind, business email account compromise fraud, that's going to be a solid increase and has been consistently increasing year over year. We see that because of the success that BEC fraud has. It's it's plying the human within an email and getting them to update banking information. And so that one uh, requires authentication up front, uh, knowing customers on both sides of a transaction and really understanding you know, with deep complexity how things are authenticated before a transaction leaves the house. Uh, a second one, everyone talks about deep fakes, um, deep fakes voice, deep fakes 
uh, of people's faces and impersonations of CEOs. Um, I'll throw another one out there, uh, defects of, of writing. So technologies like chat, GPT, are able to create sophisticated types of emails chains that make it appear as if your customers had a long history of collaboration uh, within their own way that they actually talk or mannerisms to actually aid in more sophisticated business email account compromise fraud attempts. This gives opportunity to fraudsters who may have previously had a language barrier or a skill barrier and allows them to use AI to make them more manipulative in that email space. I think we're going to see those types of things on the rise. Um, when we think about insider fraud as a maybe a third one, um, with the work from home environment, everyone saw that that's a, a, an increased possibilities with their workers for embezzlement. But I'd also like to say you probably may see that in, in that form of financial statements or lack of compliance of organizations and how to how do organizations that have been working from home for several years keep a culture of compliance so that there's not actually nefarious acts in, in sales and how the organizations are run, the books and records, and it's just more holistic than a, a singular insider fraud look at who's trying to embezzle or steal money. Um, technology will, as a, as a fourth, I think you're going to see technology trends uh, continue to surprise us, different things coming out of the woodwork. One that comes to mind is uh, e-SIM cards and phones are becoming more prevalent than the physical SIM cards. This provides ease of use for a customer to quickly change phones, but it also could provide a faster way for fraudsters to take over those phones. So as uh, multi-factor authentication is the largest form of protection against many frauds, and that sits in your pocket on your phone, anything that changes the way those operate or are taken over or utilized needs to come with controls in place. Uh, organizations need to realize this, especially when you think that work from home environment where everyone's operating from uh, personal devices over business and how you'll secure those and add layers of protection. Uh, a final one I think would be, when we think of any money laundering and fraud, sometimes places look at them as separate. They're very much one and the same. One precludes the other, and there, there's just a lot of information and news about peer-to-peer uh, -peer payment fraud in both the United Kingdom and the United States, and how banks need to do more, create more data synergies, more data sharing uh, threat networks so that they can understand proactively, uh, not reactively, because that, that continues to be a spot um, of soreness and that's more and more getting into legislatures and the, the, the actual lawmaking process and banks are starting to move to collaborate. Um, and a, a bright spot after talking about all the, all the potential bad things, really the, the tools to combat these are at our disposal in the form of technology tools, whether it's changing our policies or working with partners to collaborate more. One thing to remember is there's no one tool that solves all of these. It's a program that uses multiple tools that promote technology gaps and filling them. It creates a culture in an organization that has everyone raise their hand when something is wrong or off uh, with proper training to make sure that they know when to do that. And also, I would say as well, as we, as we look more to technology to solve these fraud problems, make sure that you're keeping in tune with your technology partners that provide fraud prevention because their roadmaps 
for their products are constantly changing and evolving. And they're, they're coming out with things consistently to stay ahead of fraud and making sure that you're reviewing that documentation, baking it into your program and meeting with one another so that you can shake hands and know one another when something goes wrong is extremely important. Um, more relationships are going to start up front with a hi, my name is, and this is how our security works and why I can benefit from you. And, and here's also, you know, some other pieces of our product. It's becoming a, a forefront reason why uh, technology companies are able to sell their products successfully. Security, how it's secured, is it done in a meaningful way that protects their customers and how collaborative they are with their customers to make everyone successful. Okay, that's a wrap on our Payments Podcast 2023 Trend Outlook. We will return to these themes and others as the year progresses. So make sure you stay with us on SoundCloud, Apple, or Spotify's podcast platforms. See you next time. The Payments Podcast from Bottom Line Technologies.